make a way when there seems to be no way. Everybody go with me, please, to Matthew chapter 19. That's where we're going to start at tonight. Again, I just want to say thank you to my wife, who uh, has actually has been helping me with this Bible study. She's All the paper and stuff that you have with you is because of her. Um, she's the one that actually puts all that together and takes time and really focuses on that, puts all that from what I've got prepared, puts it on paper with the scriptures and all that. That way you have something to take home with you to follow along with to help you study. And and uh, I just want to say thank you to my wife for helping me on that. Uh, last Wednesday night was, of course, praise and worship, uh, prayer and worship uh, service last Wednesday. So we had to skip the Bible study. But the Wednesday before, when we started this Bible study, talking about the home and how to have a blessed home and blessed family. Uh, the first uh, Bible study we had, we talked about the broken family. Um, before you can ever fix anything or change anything or improve anything, you gotta first realize if it's broken or not. And, and so we looked at the very first family that was recorded in scripture, and that's the family of Adam and Eve. And we talked about how they became married in God's creation and how they fell when they when Eve took of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and sin then entered into the world. And we talked about three things. Let's kind of recap. We talked about three things last the last week's night we had. We talked about three things. Shame, blame, and fame. Three things that was noticed in the, in the first broken home. Shame is when you allow sin to enter into your family. You allow sin or anything that's trying to train the Word of God, you allow that into your home, into your uh, marriage, your family, and it brings shame upon you. And if you remember in the scriptures where God looked at uh, Adam and Eve and said, uh, who told you you were naked? Nobody told them they were naked. What told them they were naked is the shame of the sin they committed, then their eyes were open to the shame of being naked. See, sin has a way of opening our eyes, or shame has a way of opening us up to things that we normally don't see. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. And so we talked about how shame will enter into the family. Secondly, we talked about blame. Once sin enters into the home and into the relationships, we want to blame each other for it. Well, I didn't do it, you did. No, I didn't, you did. And how many of us have been in that situation with our spouse or in a family member or relative or, or even a friend? You know, we get into the blame game. Well, I, I didn't do it, you did. No, I, you did. But if you look back in Scripture, in the first broken family, first broken home, uh, the blame game started with Adam. God looked at Adam and basically like, what did you do? Why did you eat from the tree that I told you from? He said, no, no. He said, God, it was that woman that you gave unto me. He blamed Eve for it. And then Eve looks at Adam and says, no, it wasn't me. The serpent made me do it. So they were playing the blame game. And so we talk about shame, blame, and then thirdly, we talk about fame. And fame, what I mean by fame is not meaning trying to be a celebrity, trying to be somebody famous. What I mean by fame is, is 
wanting to be recognized, wanting to be uh, noticed. And we talked about how if we're not careful, those things will fall into um, in play with our children. Um, like, all right, so you look at uh, Adam and Eve, look at their two kids, Cain and Abel. God received Abel's gift, but refused Cain's. And then so we look at our children and they say, hey, aren't you the brother so-and-so? Oh, he was a great football player. She made valedictorian. And you're looking at, at, your, at your own stuff and thinking, well, I'm not a football player. That's not my gift. And so then we become uh, unrecognized, unnoticed, and then we want to run away from the family and say, I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. And so that's kind of a recap of what we talked about the last Wednesday night um, when we started the Bible study. The, we uh, started with the broken home because you can't fix anything until you first acknowledge it's broken. And then tonight we're going to talk about the blessed marriage. How to have a blessed marriage. Now, when you think about marriage in today's time, just think for a moment our society, our world. They don't think of marriage as priority anymore. Um, everybody's categorized as, well, she's her own self. She's her own woman. I'm my own man. She can do what she wants to do. I can do what I want to do. Well, that's not scripture. We are together as one. We are together, but the world don't teach that anymore. Look at this. And also, marriage is also, like I said, in the opening service, marriage is also being attacked more now than ever because Satan, I believe, is trying to bring disunity within the home. You know, broken links in the home will fall quicker than two that are uh, joined together. But in 1930, listen to this, in 1930, 83% of adult Americans were married. Okay? It's 1930. Today, 49.7% of, of, of adult Americans are married. That's almost half of 1930. And so the number statistically is dropping because people now find it more beneficial to live together. We're just going to live together because we get better insurance, we get, uh, get more support. If we don't marry, it'll take all that away. So let's say... We're, we've been doing everything as a married couple date anyway, so let's just keep it like that. And if things don't work out, it'll be easier to split. That's the world today. That is your home. That is the American home today. But tonight, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19. To me, in my opinion, Matthew chapter 19 is a more in-depth chapter on marriage and divorce. Now, you may think, well, hold on now. What about Ephesians 5? Well, I'm not downplaying Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is a very great chapter um, on marriage. But here in Matthew chapter nine, uh, 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus. And I know we're supposed to kind of shy away from Pharisees because they have this you know, form of godliness and denial of power thereof, and they're just all show and looks and everything. But I love I got You've got to love the Pharisees, man. You've got to love the Sadducees because they're so comical. For the things they're supposed to be, but yet half the time they shove their foots in their mouths. And you'll see what I'm talking about here in a minute. But, um, but the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they ask Jesus a question, and we're going to read that here in just a moment. But I want you to know it's his response to them. All right, so Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, 
tempting him. Now, tempting means testing. They were testing him. And saying unto him, here's the question, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? For every cause, what he's trying to say is, basically, let me, let me break it down for you. Here's his question. Jesus, is it lawful for us to divorce any woman for any reason? That's the question. Is it, is it pretty much okay if I divorce a woman for any reason and I find her? That's his question. Look at verse 4. Uh, here's where they put their foot in their mouth. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? So basically what Jesus is saying, Look, you call yourself a Pharisee? Have you not read this right here? Have you not even read the scripture? Have you not even read the Bible? And you're asking me? Is it okay to divorce under any reason? Have you not read? And look what rest of verse 4. That he which made them, made them, now Jesus is reverencing Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. So now Jesus is going back to Old Testament. That he which made them, them, talking about husband and wife, at the beginning, which is before sin, entered into the world, made them male and female. <clears throat> Talking about Adam and Eve. Or us and the wife also. In verse 5, and he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. They twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together let not man put asunder. And what he means by man also talking about the husband. Men, even though they're he's married, just because he's married does not give him the right to put her away. And so the question now is, is it lawful <coughs> for sorry for a man to divorce his wife for basically any reason? Now look at the word cleave. Cleave literally means in the scripture, it means when you yoke two animals together. That's what cleave means. You literally put them together. Basically, men both have to work together. She can't pour, pull more weight than me. I can't pull more weight than her. And so we have to work together. That's what cleave means. Now, how many have heard this saying? That marriage is 50-50. Everybody's heard that. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. Hey, open discussion. Hey, shout out. My opinion, you're wrong. <coughs> Marriage is not 50 50. No, he's going to say 80 20. No, I'm not going to say 80 20. Marriage is 100 and 100. She's got to do just as much. I've got to do just as much. I've got to put my 100% into our marriage while she puts her 100%. And I get it, yes, 50 50, two, two halves make a whole. But how can, we're not halves. We're joined as one. Meaning I have to put my 100% while she puts her 100%. So the question, is it lawful for any to separate? The answer is simply this. Jesus is telling the answer very plain. The answer is no. No, it is not lawful for any man to divorce his wife for any reason. And if you notice in the scripture, verse 7, let's look at verse 7. 
And they said unto him, Now, here, again, I got, you got to love the Pharisees, okay? In verse 7, they're trying to put Jesus like he don't know what he's talking about. And again, they are Pharisees. Pharisees and scribes are supposed to know this book right here from front to back. But yet, when they, it's like every time they get around Jesus, they're dumber than a box of rocks. And if you think about it, it's like this. This is a simple question. They're trying to test him. That's all it boils down to, the motive. They're trying to test him. Look at verse 7. They said to him, Now, why did Moses then command? Now, watch that word command. There's a reason. To give a writing of divorcement and put her away. So now he says, Okay, Jesus, you say no. Okay, you say no. But then why does Moses say that it's okay as long as we give a written uh, certificate of divorcement? And I didn't really know this until I studied this message for a month. The reason why Moses, again, of course, if you look at biblical terminology, Moses represents Old Covenant, Old Testament, Old Covenant. Jesus references uh, New Covenant, okay? So Moses, the reason he commanded, gave out a new law that says it's okay to give a woman, as long as it's a written certificate of divorce, because this is why. Because back in the Old Testament, that's why it's so important again that we read out and study out the Word of God. That way we don't go around and say, well, I'm a Christian, I divorced my wife. God, God honors it. No, He does not. Well, the Bible says both did. Well, you didn't study the Word of God. So what was happening in the Old Testament is men were marrying women, okay? But they were marrying also other women and neglecting their first wife. Not only were they neglecting their first wives, they were abusing them, using them, and allowed other men to come into the home and abuse them as well. Moses looked at the situation and said, no, this ain't right. We gotta do something about this because it's not fair to the woman. So then he commands and gives out a new law saying it's lawful to divorce as long as you get written um, <laughs> certificate of divorce because I read, he's basically saying I rather her leave you and find someone that will treat her the way she deserves to be treated and loved and cherished and to be comforted like she deserves rather than be abused and used by somebody that does not want her. That's where that comes from. So John 1 and 17, where I just said, for the law was given by Moses. Again, Moses represents old covenant. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So grace says, work it out. That's what Jesus is saying. No, it's not lawful. Let's work this out. The mm -hmm. law says, put her away. But you would think it'd be right opposite. Law saying we can or the law saying we we uh, shouldn't, but grace says we can. See, when you think of law, it's no, 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 no. But you think about grace more, yes, yes, yes. But actually, <coughs> it's backwards. So three things I want to show you tonight from this passage of Scripture. Three things. Number one, marriage represents God. So I'm going to ask you this before we go any further. Think for a moment. You don't have to answer this. No raising hands. Ask yourself this. Does your marriage represent God? Think for a moment. Does my marriage, does my home 
represented God. So look at verses 4 and 5. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Genesis 1, 26, 27, what he referencing. Verse 5, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Now look at Genesis 1, 26, 27. You don't have to turn there. We've got it right here. And God said, okay, let us, plural, more than one, let us make man. Now that word man, I know a lot of people look at that think male. No, that's not what man means. God said, let us make man. The Hebrew actual word for man is Adam, which is Hebrew, which means mankind. So let me read that in its actual context. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, our plural, after our plural likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man, or in other words, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So when God wanted to paint a portrait of himself and bring it down the earth, he created marriage. He created marriage. Our relationship, our marriage should represent God at all times. Now, let me ask you a question. This is the reason why Satan hates marriage. He hates it. He hates marriage. Why? Because it's the image of God on earth. That's why Satan hates marriage. Now, who was the first one, pick your brain for a moment, who was the first one that got tempted in the Bible? Very first one. Who got tempted? It's in Genesis. Who was the very first one that got tempted by Satan? It was Eve. Eve. It was Eve. Right. She was tempted to eat the forbidden fruit. Okay. But think back before <coughs> Eve came into the picture. You just got Adam. Adam and God. Did Adam ever get tempted by Satan? No. Not recorded. So the tempter didn't come until Eve came into the picture. Why? We say, well, we've all heard because it's a wicked vessel. Yes, she was a wicked vessel. Yes. And Christ looks at us, male, as the head of the home, and I, I get that. But let's look at the picture. The reason Satan didn't tempt Adam any before Eve is because when Eve came, the two were joined together as one, and now when both of them came, it was the image of God on earth. That's when Satan came in, because now he sees the image of God and now he's getting scared. Now he sees the image of God. And so, but look at this. God is a triune God. Meaning, he's three into one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Okay. Marriage should be triune as well. And you're thinking, okay, you've just got through saying triune means three and one. How can that come up? 
husband, wife, and children? No. Husband, wife, God. Three into one. When you have a trying marriage, then you have a blessed marriage. But if God's not in the home, if God's not in the marriage, if God's not in the relationship, it's not going to be a blessed home. God is trying you. He wants homes and families to be trying as well. This world doesn't understand what unity is. Like I said before, we get a little ahead of myself. They look at her as her own, me as my own. She works and makes her living. I make the home. I go and make my own living. But that's not what God designed the home to be. To all be as one. So that is why Satan hates marriage. And that's why God puts such emphasis on marriage. That Satan sees us, if we're allowing it to be, God, us being one, he sees the image of God revealing or representing us in our marriage. That's why he hates marriage. He'd rather us stay separate, living together, drawing off all these incomes, because we can't, we're not married, and living in adultery, living in sin. He'd rather us, because God is not in that. But that's what the world is pushing. And then when they get, and they get, you know, hell and high waters at the roof, and they say, well, I'm gone. We'll leave. It's just as simple as that. So that's what the world is pushing today. So number two, marriage represents Christ and the church. Look at Ephesians 5. Remember I said Ephesians 5 was a great chapter on marriage, and it is. Look at uh, Ephesians 5, 31, 32. And here it is again. For this cause... Like he said before, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. As, as a man, you are representing Christ because you are the head of the home. God placed you as the head of the home. It says Christ is the head of the church. The women or the wife represent the church. And I'll show you that. So let me give you a little illustration. So say, Brother David, if you're out um, out in the store or wherever, and a man comes up to you, say his name's Joe. And a man comes up to you and says, Hey, Brother David. And uh, then you try to witness to Joe. And say, hey man, you know, man, it's come to church and all that. Have you said Jesus Christ and you know and and all that? He said, and Joe finally looked at David and says, David, I'm gonna tell you what. What? How will God treat me if I give up all my all to Him and I surrender and I accept Jesus Christ as Lord of my life? How will He treat me? What I me? Mean, how will I be treated? Well, David looks at Joe. Very sick, was playing his date and says, He's going to treat you just like I treat my wife. Now, if that was your response, would Joe want to get saved? Think for a minute. <clears throat> if our marriage represents Christ in the church, if our marriage, like the first point, is the image of God on earth, if I tell Joe that God's going to treat you, the same way I treat my wife, God will treat you. Will he say, I want no part in that, or yes, 
let me sign up, I'm getting saved today. Which one would it be? Ask yourself. If you're supposed to be representing Christ, could he or won't be saved? Now, ladies, same way with you. Say, my wife is out at the store and she's talking and runs into an old friend or, or you know, whatever the case may be, and the uh, lady comes up to my wife and says, hey, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, what's on your mind? Um, I've been really wanting to go more in depth with prayer. You know, it's really want to get in deep and get into the spirit and, and really just pray and pray and pray. And, but uh, six months, I don't know how. I don't know how to talk to God. I really don't. Can you help me out? What if my wife says this? Oh, it's easy, honey. It's, it's so easy. You talk to God just like I talk to my husband. Again, <laughs> so she's saying, oh, you mad to cuss him out? No. You may have to talk bad about him or or downput him or 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 tell everybody about his weaknesses. Because that's what we're displaying. That's what people see. So again, if I'm supposed to be representing Christ in my marriage, she's supposed to be representing the church. It, our, our actions and our way, is it displaying Christ? Is it displaying the church? Or your marriages, or even if you're not married and you're single, you say, well, I'm not married. I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife. I'm a widow. I'm by myself. I'm at home. Yes, listen to me. Jesus Christ himself lived and walked on this earth for 33 years and not once got married. Did he not represent Christ? I mean, did he not represent the Father? Yes, he did. You still have a purpose and a plan for the kingdom. Whether it's by yourself or with the with the spouse, Jesus did Himself. Now, if you want to get into the what, what I've discovered over the years, lost books of the Bible, they say there's a book of Mary where Jesus married uh, Mary Madeline. They had kids and and all that. But here's my point of view. I think this is what God wanted me to have. This is what I'm gonna stick with. This is what I'm gonna go by. And uh, and so, but Jesus lived on Earth for 33 years and was not married. You can as well. Brother yes, Jason, go ahead. I can think a lot of times why a lot of marriages fail is like the husband is supposed to be the one to set the example. Yes, in order. And a lot of times the husband don't do it. Mm-hmm. If he don't do it, then the wife has to step up and take the place of the man. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that really, I mean, that really throws it out of wife. It does. And you, and also, I'm glad you said that. And so that's why I love shout outs, because now he's got my brain going his direction. Um, in today's <laughs> world, how many wives do you see taking the place of the man as the role of the man? Like they're out there, you know, busting their rear end, trying to make a living. And, and, and again, now, now I'm, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. Yes, in today's world, it does take two incomes to make it nowadays. I'm thankful I'm blessed. I have been able to be. A provider all these years, my wife has not had to go out and you know work you know publicly and everything. And not not saying she won't or not willing, she's willing to do anything. But I, I want to feel more of the provider. But I see more and more in today's time, the women are trying to take the role of the man. They're so independent, they don't want to wait on no man. And the man honestly is letting her do that. But you know why? 
because the man's not being the man. He's not doing what he's supposed to. So now you've got all these women who are feminists, you know, that um, don't want to be in the home, don't want to be homemakers, which, are, like you said, there's nothing wrong with a woman working a job. But when a woman is trying to take a man's place, well, I'm just as good as he is, so I can work a job and I'm just as tough, um, I'm thankful I can stay home with my kids and homeschool my kids and raise my kids. I, it blesses me that I can take care of my husband. I lay his clothes out every night, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Yeah. Um, I still yeah. cook for my husband, and I still do those things. And um, I think that's the way it should be. I think, you know, if you have to work a job, I completely understand looking down at you for that. But if you are able to stay home and raise your kids and instill in them what they need, I think that's the best thing you can do. But in this day and time, like you said, it's hard under one income. But there again, I also think that's another topic is that we get ahead of ourselves and we won't give me, give me, give me. I need to stay up with the Joneses instead of being thankful for what we have and doing with less where we can do those things. You know, we get above and beyond what we need to be doing. You know, you can have my, like my mother, she was a hard-working woman, but she was a, a good Christian woman. Mm-hmm. But she worked. And yeah. She set the example. We right. knew who our mother was. Right. We right. knew what she was just the same way. Now, my dad wasn't a Christian. Right. But see, the, the, there it goes again. Mm-hmm. It can be either way. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, one of us has got to step up, mm-hmm. right? That's right. But then again, you're hoping and you're praying by you doing what you're in the Bible tells us. If we live the life of but we're already married to them, that mm-hmm. they'll, they'll become what they should be. Because when my wife was going to church, my wife was going to church. The reason I started going to church because my wife was going. Right. Yeah, we you know, we see so much of this going, you know, like what I said, it's not like we're condemning what the women do. Right. You know, I mean, it, if it has to be, it has to be. But what we're trying to say is the the women are becoming so independent upon themselves as if I don't they, need a man. they're the sole provider yes. of the home when they're not. The man's, if the man's supposed to, you know, be what he's doing. All right, so let's move on. So Malachi chapter 2, uh, verse 14. Malachi um talks about they didn't receive their offering because first it was their faith second was their uh family and then the third was their finances so they got three else faith and what i mean by faith family and finances it was all out of order and so when it gets to the finances when you go into malachi i'm talking about the giving of tithes and offerings but their family was um out of order so malachi 2 uh, verse 14, and now we're talking about marriage represents covenant. Marriage represents covenant. So not only does marriage represent God on earth, secondly, marriage represents Christ and the church. Thirdly, marriage represents covenant. So Malachi 2:14. Yet ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously yet is she thy companion and here it is and the wife of thy covenant when 
My wife and I got married 17 years ago. We stood before the minister and we made a covenant vow before God saying what we are doing today, we are going to stick with. <coughs> so you think, okay, covenant contract, you know, kind of the same thing. Seems like the same thing. Covenant is an agreement or, you know, what, you know, and then you think of a contract. I want to show you the difference between a covenant and a contract. Mm -hmm. A contract, it says, all right, for example, contract is like you're making a big purchase, like a house, or you're going to some kind of a business deal, you want to sign a contract. Here's what a contract is. We protect our rights and we limit our responsibilities. When you sign a contract, when you're in contract, you do everything to cover your rear end and to pick up your responsibilities. Here's what a covenant is. The covenant is right opposite of a contract. Mm -hmm. Covenant, we give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. When you make a covenant vow before God, you're saying, here's everything I own, God. I give up all I own, all that I am. I give it all of you. I give up my rights because I surrender unto you. That's my covenant between him and the, or me and the Father. Now, again, Talking about Moses being an old covenant, representing old covenant, and Jesus representing the new covenant. Now, old covenant, God says, I'll provide for you, I'll protect you. You can think in your mind, He's saying all this to the children of Israel. He's saying, I'll protect you, I'll provide for you, I will bless you. That's my part. But here's your part, children. Under this covenant, taught the old covenant, you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect under the old covenant. You could not mess up. You could not do anything wrong. And if you remember the story, Moses was on top of the mountain, the Ten Commandments, and he was in the presence of Almighty God. This was after they agreed to be in that old covenant. They said, okay, we'll do it. We'll do exactly what you say, and we'll surrender, and we'll be this old covenant. They agreed to it. Before Moses ever got off the mountain to bring down the covenant, they already broke covenant before he ever got to them. Thank God we're not under the old covenant anymore. Amen. Thank God Jesus Christ came and said, we're not under the old law, we're not under the old covenant anymore, we're under the new covenant. Here is the difference between the old and new. Here's the new covenant. God says, I'll protect, I'll provide, and I will bless, just like the old covenant. But here's the difference. God looks at us and says, here's the new covenant. But hold on, hold on, one second. Hey, Jesus, hey, son, come here, come here. They want to be in the new covenant, but they can't keep the covenant. They can't keep themselves in the covenant. Hey, son, Jesus, come on. I need you to go down to earth. I need you to fulfill the covenant for them because they can't fulfill it for themselves. Oh, and by the way, son, while you're down there, I'm, I'm going to need you to die on the cross again as well. Mm -hmm. Die to die, or die to death, they deserve. Because I know they're not going to be able to keep this covenant. But by you, they will be able to stay in covenant. That's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Law, 
versus grace. Law versus grace. And Jesus said there will be a few covenant, but Jesus made a way for us to keep the covenant. That's what marriage is. It's a covenant between me and my wife. Because Jesus came down this earth, died on the cross for us, so that we can stay in the covenant. Because I'm telling you, if we were in the old covenant, we wouldn't be able to make it. But because of grace, knowing each and every day we're subject to fall every single day, we can cry out and say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. I, you know, I, I'm sorry I messed up. I, I, I didn't mean to do this. But God says, okay, it's okay. I forgive you. Let's pick yourself back up. And let's go. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. That's grace. That's the new covenant. So covenant, the new covenant in our marriage, with my wife and I, is saying, okay, if my wife can't keep up her end of the covenant, and, under, and I'm talking about under, under the new covenant that we are all under, if my wife cannot keep up on her end of the covenant in our marriage, I am saying, I'll keep mine. That's what God is saying to us. You may not keep your end of the covenant, but my son came and kept his end of the covenant. So we, and I'm not saying this will ever happen, if we ever come to a place where one of us falls, one of us to say, I kept the covenant. Where the world's telling us that <laughs> this is what God's like. God is a covenant-keeping God. He does not break covenant. He does not break promises. He is a covenant-keeping God on this earth. And that, my friend, that is why Satan hates marriage. Because it's a covenant between us and him. And our marriage is the image of God on earth. Our marriage represents Christ and the church. And our marriage, lastly, represents the new covenant of Jesus Christ. That, my friend, is what a blessed marriage looks like. That is why Jesus, when the Pharisees came and tempted him or tested him and said, is it not lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus got angry with him because Jesus looks at marriage this important. And we forget how strongly God looks at marriage when a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. God created marriage to be in his image and in his likeness. That's why he created them, Adam and Eve, so that his image now could be on earth. So God takes marriage very, very seriously. And he wants us to do the same as well. But in the world we're living in, they're going having us going every which way. And so now, grab your paper and kind of go over the questions real quick. There's no right or wrong answer. Everybody may have a different answer. Everybody may have a different answer. It's just all what you feel, what you perceive. Like, I read you the scripture tonight. I may have this point of view, but yet you may see a different point of view. Hey, it's all the correct. This you know, may see it a little different. So... You want to go around everybody and get that answer? I'm just going to call them out. Okay. All right, so first one. All right, from Matthew 19, 3 through 8. What stands out to you in those passages of Scripture? How would you respond if you were 
there that day when Jesus gave these answers, talking about what would you do if you were there and you saw Jesus here, you saw the Pharisees over here, what would you have done if the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to you know, divorce a wife for any reason you know, at all? How would you respond to that? How would it make you feel? So it probably throw me for a loop. Because, you know, again, knowing the you know, Pharisees have this all-knowing look about them. Like, I'm holier now. I know the scripture like never before. They were testing him. And, and I think, again, it's so comical that every time it's somebody to get around Jesus, it's like they shut their foot in their mouth. And it's just hilarious. And how Jesus comes back at them and says, have you not read it? Have you not read the, the, the scripture or the times where he comes back and says, you hypocrites. You know, how he just comes back at them. I, I, me personally, I love it. Um, but, you know, today, Brother Jay, go ahead. when people do that today, they're trying to justify themselves. Yes. Yes. That's true. That is the truth. Because that's what, that's what basically they were doing, trying to justify their own selves. <laughs> because what about the woman that they caught in the act of adultery? They threw her to feed Jesus. And they were trying to throw Moses' his Old Testament laws at Jesus when they were basically, like you said, trying to justify what they were doing. Because they were in the wrong just as well as she was. Yeah, she didn't do it alone. Exactly. Takes two. Now, I meant to say this earlier. Talking about God being trying God, <laughs> God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, three persons come together, but you see them as one. My wife and I are two. We're joined together, but we look as we're one. Let me let me share with you the best way I can describe that. I'm going to use Brother David again. And, and I wish Sister Pat was here. I'd use her too. So if Sister Pat, she can go back and listen. If Sister Pat was right there. Hey, Sister Pat. Um, and I was sitting there dogging her out. <laughs> I mean, Sister Pat, you are this. You need, you need, you need to do this. You're, you're nothing but a this. I'm not even talking to Brother David. I'm talking to his wife. And then all of a sudden, Brother David rises up and says, who do you think you are? And he gets mad at me. I'm like, oh, sit yourself down. I'm talking to your wife. Why is he getting offended? I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to his wife. Because the two are one. What you do to her, you do to him. What you do to her, you do to me. Because she is part of me. She is me. We are one. Even though when we go to the table, we have two plates, we're still one. And here's the thing. If God looks at this as a marriage, and then you know how we always look at Scripture and we see that our relationship with God is kind of like a marriage. Um, you know, we use a lot of marriage you know, principles to talk about our relationship with God. If God, the Father in me, he, the Spirit lives in me, okay, we are one. Right? Then why is it today? Think for a minute. Why is it today that when I see stuff, when I hear things, and and see certain things go on that is contrary to this, have you not noticed it does not bother Christians anymore? Have you noticed that? If we are one, mm -hmm. what bothers him should bother me. Right. We see so much sin. 
So much, you know, hypocrisy and so many things going on in the public, on TV, on the radio. We go to Walmart, we see it, but we just walk on by like, it, like we never saw it. They just disrespected your heavenly father. They basically just threw down everything you believe in and you walk by like it doesn't bother you. My friend, if we ever get to that point, we're in a scary place. Because what happens here should bother us because it, it, it basically comes against my Heavenly Father and what I believe in, my faith. And so I just want to throw that in there. I meant to say that earlier. Uh, so number two, what do you think God would choose marriage between a husband and wife to reflect himself on earth? So why do you think God would choose marriage between a husband and a wife to reflect himself on earth? Love, relationship, covenant, um, the the unity. That's mm-hmm. all God. And we should um, reflect that to others. Again, if I told you God's going to treat you like he treats me and my wife, would you want to serve God? If you say, mm, I, don't, I don't know part of that, then we aren't doing what we're supposed to do. Did you want to add to that? Yeah, I thought of a few things down um, that stood out to me when I was reading. Uh, let's see. The keeping pure of oneself for the other. The wedding party with a host of invited guests looking on, rejoicing in the display of our mutual love and affection. Intimate moments of sharing our deepest self with the other, resulting in new life being born, and a oneness of body, soul, and spirit. Over time, the development of oneness of heart that it produces a unity of thinking and even appearance. That's in Romans 8, 29, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. When he appears, we shall be like him. And then I also uh, put down marriage is Marriage means by which God's grace and life flows to one's spouse. Their bodies, their minds, their hearts, their souls become the pathways of Jesus in their lives for each other. It is a place where spouses grow in patience and self-sacrifice, in simple gratitude and true humility, endurance, forgiveness, and real sorrow and genuine passion. One spouse is able to uh, taste divine love because of the grace of God. All right, so number four, how would a husband, sorry, number three, what aspects of men and women reflect the nature of God? And how do these individualities complement each other? What aspects of men and women reflect the nature of God? Love, again, love. God is love. How do these individuals complement each other? How do we complement each other? Same thing. Love, unity, relationship, commitment, covenant. Um, Yes. Uh, Number four. I like this one. How would a husband treat his wife to reflect how Jesus treats the church? That list can just go on and on and on. Number one, first and foremost, is love. Um, and you, when we talk about how would a husband treat his wife, he treated with respect, honor, compassion, love, humility, meekness, and and uh, 
then like I said, the list goes on and on. And if, again, if you're not displaying that in your own home, mm -hmm. you're, dis uh, you're not a very good representative of Jesus Christ. Because you're, dis dis you're not displaying the aspects of God. Um, and number five, how would a wife talk to her husband to reflect how we should talk to Christ? Same way as the, the husband um, to his wife. Same way. It's, it's two ways. Um, just because you know one being male, one being female, does not make anything different. I think um, that comes into respect. And two, I think it's a little bit different for a man than it is a woman. You know, a man wants to receive respect, and you know the things he asks of her, he wants her to do. And um, the same as God wants us to do, He wants us to listen to Him. So. Right. Number six. What is the difference between a marriage based on a contract versus a marriage based on a covenant? How does this reflect God's covenant with us? What's the difference between a marriage based on a contract? Contract, like we said before. Um, it's an agreement between two parties, while covenant is a pledge. Yep. Because the covenant, you know, we're going to fall. We're going to mess up. I mean, you know, I told you, told the church several times when I started pastoring the church that I would never be too prideful to share my, you know, trials and battles. This wife or this woman here had every right and every reason to divorce me years ago. And I know we've all at one time in our relationship been there. And she would have been in the right. You know, the, the you know, what I've done, the way I treated her, the way I talked to her. You know, um, she had every right to say, look, I deserve better. You know, I don't deserve to be talked to like that because, you know, I was in a bad place at one time too. We've all been there before. But because we stayed in the covenant, we overcame it. We didn't break our covenant. Mm -hmm. stuck with me. Yeah. I'm stuck with this one. <laughs> so lastly, number seven, what is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you tonight for this message? <clears throat> Has the Spirit of God touched you and encouraged you in your relationship? And again, you may not be married, but has He touched you in your spirit and heart to say, hey, I can be a representative of God. I can represent God on earth. I can represent Christ in the church, and I can represent um, the covenant of Christ. I can. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that are married has this encourage you in your home. And if you're married, are there areas of your marriage that need adjusted? Think for a moment. Again, we're here to grow together. These, these, these Bible studies is not to point out all your wrongs and condemn all of you that are doing wrong. It's just to encourage you and to grow stronger. Are there anything in your home? Or in, individually? Individually, are there anything or any areas that you need adjusted so that they reflect God on earth? Are you treating your spouse in a way that reflects Christ in the church? Are you treating, am I treating this woman like Christ treats the church? If I'm not, I need to do some adjustments. And I catch myself having to readjust myself. You come home from a bad day of work, and you come in, you're just slap tired, you're ill, stressed. And I'm telling you, this is one thing I told you, I, I said I'll never be too proud. I come home. And with everything you said, and she come with, greet me with a smile. I can smell supper cooking. And she's like, 
Mom makes she ain't seen me all day, so happy to see me. And I, and I come to the door and she's like, hey, honey, are you? I'm like, shut up. You think I'm lying? Am I lying? <laughs> Leave me alone. What, what, honey, what's wrong? I'm tired. And I'm telling you, I was a rear end. Maybe not that bad. Well, not that extreme, <laughs> but I, you, get, you get the gist. There wasn't no hugs and kisses, give me sugar, so let's, let's eat. It was like, you know, I was very pushed off. Oh, like, you cooked a meal, woohoo. You know, so I never appreciated her. <laughs> Honey, thank you for that meal that you cooked for me. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, you know, for, you know, and that's the same thing we do for God. We reference his blessings. But I think it comes with time in a marriage, too. You realize that all the little insignificant things that you argue about, and especially after the loss of my daddy, I realized how he was my rock, how strong we were. And I said, all these little things we argue and fuss and fight about don't mean a hill thing. And you learn to just look over the little bitty things. And, and when you do start getting agitated, we're like, why are we doing this? You know, this is so silly. Let's make peace and go on about it. So. I think we take each other for granted. Right. We do. Yeah. All the time. We do. Like, like I said, you know, I could have easily said, hey, thank you for all you do. Thank you for that nice meal. Thank you for laying the clothes out for me. Thank you for washing my clothes. I have not yet, I've never washed a lot of clothes <laughs> in 17 years. It's not that I don't know how. She always does it for me. She always has my clothes clean. And she always makes sure all that's done and and stuff. And I go for periods of time overlooking those things and not thanking her for the small things. Don't we take that into the church though? We do. We take we don't we take each other for granted. We do. We bring it right over into the church. And, and we're do we supposed to love here in the church? Right. Yes. Just like Christ. And do we, are we not supposed to be thankful for all the many blessings he blesses with? And all the many blessings we overlook every single day, like the, the car we have, the home we have, the food we have, the, the showers we can take, same thing we're here. We overlook all the little things our spouses do for us every single day because it becomes such a habit routine of what they do for us. All right. Well, we really hit us with this Bible when we couldn't come to church. Mm -hmm. Everybody was busy. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it really showed us how you love. The things of God. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, we're supposed to love the things of God. And when you take it away, and that's what happened to us, we don't know or know. Mark holds a whole new day, brother, and we don't know if our wife will be gone or we'll be gone. That's it. And we waste the time over, like you said, a little trivial stuff that don't matter to us. Yes. That's why we're supposed to, you know, appreciate love and, you know, be thankful for it. You know, our spouse and the Lord. And for everybody. 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 For everybody. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Everybody. All right. So, and if you're single, it's just a question for you to think upon yourself. So, if you're single, are you living in a way that shows the world who your father is? Are you showing, representing, showing everybody that you come in contact with that Jesus Christ or God is your heavenly father? Same way Jesus did while he lived single on earth. Jesus was not married. It's not scriptural. It's not in the Bible. He lived 33 years on earth, never was married. He lived a single life, but yet he showed who his father was. Everybody knew if they said Jesus Christ, they were going to know who he was. So as we conclude and close out this Bible study, remember this. Marriage between a man and a woman is designed 
to reflect God on earth. Marriage reflects the way of Christ, is with the church. And then thirdly and lastly, marriage reflects covenant. That is our three things. In order to have a blessed marriage, we have to have a trying marriage. We have to have husband, wife, and God. That's our trying to have a blessed home. All parts of minds are clear. Well, ask anybody if they want to say anything. That's what I'm saying. Okay. All hearts and minds clear. <laughs> Is there anything anybody wants to say, add, or take away? If we offend you, hey, take some words away. Hey. <laughs> 17 years. <laughs> you can tell which one's a talker, right? So we thank the Lord for this Bible study that we have dived into, talking about the marriage, the blessed marriage. God, we ask, Lord, that you just be with us, that, Lord, that we, we may represent you here on earth, and that our acts and our ways, our, our talk, our words reflect Christ in the church, and that our marriage, our relationship, and even if we're not married or in a relationship, God, us as individuals will show forth the covenant that we have between us and you. That when people see us, when people come in contact with us, whether we're married or not, yes. that they will see you in us, working in us and through us. And God, I pray, God, for a blessing upon the church, yes. upon each and every one. Lord, that you bring us back again at the next point in time, Sunday morning. God, we'll come back and worship you and, and serve you and dive into your word again. And, and God, we ask for you to just watch over us and protect us and, and keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, we love you.